So thank you for being here. I'm very, very happy and honored to have with us uh, this evening uh, uh, Professor Nilufer Gulley and Professor Tariq Mudud. Highly and deeply respect their work and what they have been doing over the years. And you will be able to, to listen to some of their views about uh, Islam in Europe. So mainly what we are trying to tackle is three main questions, but mainly we are talking about Islam in Europe and assessing the situation in Europe as related to secularism, uh, racism, migrations, and a, a word that is everywhere these days is radicalization. How do they deal with it? Because this is also the connection that we have with the Middle East, in a way, with what is happening in Syria and in which way we have to deal with it, not by thinking about what is happening there, but first about what is happening here and in which way we have to deal with it when people are talking about radicalization. Uh, is it the right word first to start with? Do we have the, the right word? And, and may, many people uh, are discussing the word of radicalization among the uh, young Muslims today in, in, in Europe. Uh, there is also an important question which has to do with the security question. Are we dealing with a threat, a hindrance to citizenship, sense of belonging, and pluralistic society? So uh, we will start with a, a short presentation, 10, 12 minutes each, and uh, Professor Tariq Moudoud will start. Professor Tariq Moudoud is a professor of sociology, politics, and public policy at the University of Bristol and the founding director of the Center for the Study of Ethnicity and Citizenship. His latest books include Multiculturalism, a Civic Idea, this was in 2013, and as a co-editor, Tolerance, Intolerance and Respect in 2013, Religion in a Liberal State in 2013, Multiculturalism, The Rethought 2015, and Multiculturalism and Interculturalism in 2016. He was a member of the Commission on Religion and Belief in Public Life. So the floor is yours, uh, Professor Moudoud, and uh, uh, after that I will introduce Professor Nilufer Gilley. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for the invitation. It's a great opportunity to have the chance to address you and to join in a, a conversation with you about Islam in, in Europe, about Muslims in Europe. I imagine that the conversation might be quite wide-ranging, but what I'd like to do for my short presentation is really tell you to introduce my, what comes from my own work, what is my own way of trying to find a f political framework, an, a normative political framework, which has some sociological and political relevance in trying to understand the position of Muslims in Europe, but not just descriptively, as I say, uh, normatively. And that really means that I want to say that there are two concepts that I use to understand the place of, of Muslims in Europe, the place as it is and the place as it should be. And these concepts I'll call, though I have my own kind of distinctive meanings, but they are terms that you'll recognize as also in general currency. So the first concept is that of multiculturalism and the second of moderate secularism. And I want to say that we can understand the place of Muslims in Europe by using these two concepts and the interaction between these two concepts. 
So beginning with something very briefly about multiculturalism then. I, I came to these topics by working in uh, issues of racial uh, and ethnic equality and multiculturalism. And I think that actually questions of religious diversity and equality are a natural extension of ethnic diversity and racial equality within multiculturalism. And this is reflected in the way that uh, the law and public policies have been developed in uh, Britain, in Western Europe, and elsewhere, like Canada and Australia, for instance. One argument that people use for saying why they think religion is actually too different from the categories of race and ethnicity and, for that matter, gender and sexual orientation and so on, for inclusion in multiculturalism is they say, well, religion is something people choose. They choose to be. Choose to be Buddhist or Christian or Muslim or whatever, whereas, on the whole, we don't choose our gender. We don't choose... Uh, the colour of our skin, you know, we, we, we're born to certain parents and so on. Well, how I deal with that argument is to say, well, actually, no one chooses to be born a Muslim. We don't choose our parents in that respect either. We're just born and brought up as Muslims. Of course, a period of time arise, arises where people reflect on their religious uh, upbringing and so on, and they may affirm it, they may be indifferent to it, they may walk away from it, and so on. But actually, is that really so very different from multicultural identities in general? Because take something like, I'm sure this happened at Oxford, it certainly happened at the University of, of Bristol just a few months ago, we had Black History Month. One of the reasons we have it is because we don't have enough about black history in our school curriculum, in our university curricula, and so on. And so over the years... Some people have got together and said, well, let's have at least one dedicated period where black people can learn about their history, but also other people can learn about uh, black history. But what if someone says, well, that's... A black person says, well, that's nothing to do with me. Yes, I'm of African descent. Yes, I'm black in that sense, you know, in the sense of phenotype and descent but I don't identify with black history. Why couldn't they say that? In fact, some people do. I, I know people who, who hold that view. My point is that the kinds of identities that we talk about in multiculturalism are identities which are partly given by dissent, but which also are, to some extent or other, affirmed or not affirmed. And in that respect, I think being a Muslim in Europe is actually close enough to being of Pakistani descent, namely an ethnic identity, say, uh, in Britain, or being, uh, being black in Britain, or somewhere else uh, in the Western world. My bottom point on this slide is that just as multiculturalism is about creating civic and institutional space for these other multicultural identities, identities rooted in racism, ethnic identities, uh, identities sometimes, as I say, to do with gender and sexuality and so on, 
and one of the you know the basic ideas of a, sim a multiculturalism is that we cannot we cannot extend equality to groups marked by those identities by being blind to those identities. So we can't have racial equality by being color blind. We can't have gender equality by being sex blind. So I want to argue, actually, multiculturalism must therefore mean that we can't have religious equality, the religious, uh, the egalitarian inclusion of Muslims into Western societies by being religion blind. And the key concept for me here is equality. But that's a, it's a complex concept and, and has a number of different dimensions that need to be identified and discussed. And so very briefly, I'll just refer to some of them. Obviously, I can't really be comprehensive. But I suppose the key point I want to make is that my understanding of multiculturalism is that it has two concepts of equality or a double concept of equality, as on this slide. Of course, it embraces, broadly speaking, what we think of as the classical liberal approach to equality, equal rights and non-discrimination, so where we might argue, well, if Christians can do this, if Christians have this, why can't Muslims as well? So that's basically an argument for consistency and sameness, equality of treatment in terms of same treatment. But the important point about multiculturalism is that it wants to get beyond that liberal concept of equality and has this additional, uh, well, actually, no, the point I'm about to make is, is a little bit different. Here I just want you to note that when we, ex when we apply this first concept of equality in terms of uh, sameness or consistency of treatment across groups, we can either be equalizing downwards, as I call it, because we could say, say if Muslims say, well, why, why are there state-funded Christian schools? Why can't Muslims also have state-funded Muslim schools? Well, one way of achieving equality, which some people argue for, is, ah, we'll take away the state funding of Christian schools. Now Muslims have got nothing to complain about because Christians have been brought down to the level of Muslims. But I say that multicultural equality would be more about equalizing upwards, giving Muslims and others the same provision as currently enjoyed by Christians, not by dispossessing Christians, but by including Muslims. So turning now to the second concept of equality, because this is, this is, if you like, the multiculturalist contribution to the liberal concept of equality by extending it in this direction. So this is equality as respect for difference, which can require differential treatment, as the important thing is to focus on a group's needs as well as on what provision is generally available. And so I give a little example here. So... Christians have no dietary needs that are met at school. Not nowadays, anyway. They have in the past. When I was a boy at school, we had fish on Friday because Christians aren't supposed to eat meat on Friday. And actually, I understand that this still carries on. But most of the people in the school, even the teachers, don't know why fish is always served on a Friday. But they still do it. And so if, if, if say, Muslims and Jewish parents or children said, well, could we have 
halal and kosher food at school, the authorities could turn around and say, well, why? Why should we privilege you? We don't do this for Christians. But this argument is about distinct needs. We try and meet Christian needs, what Christians say are their needs, in certain kinds of ways. But it doesn't follow from that that Muslims and Jews and others can only have the same needs. The Christians must define the full set of possible cultural and religious needs and other people's needs are only met insofar as they align with a Christian sect. No, multiculturalism is about respecting difference, respecting different groups, and so that means recognizing differential cultural needs, which will sometimes mean differential treatment, differential provision, and so on. One of the things that all this is leading towards is that it's giving religion a public prominence, whether it's in schools or in public life, in politics and so on, just in the same way as egalitarians are committed to giving race or gender a public pro uh, prominence. And some people then say, ah, oh, but that's breaching another liberal norm that we're all committed to, you know, liberals are all committed to, and that is surely secularism. How can we have religion occupying all this public space? So I turn to my second concept that I mentioned to you, moderate secularism. And I very quickly, just give you, to give you the flavor of this idea, say, look, here, here are five features of what I mean by moderate secularism. And I be, here mean a political idea, nothing to do with atheism or metaphysics or scientific positivism, nothing like that. It's just a, a political idea. So the first point I make is that moderate secularism is about the mutual autonomy of political authority and religious authority, not about mutual exclusion, as, say, in the United, as in the United States, where the Constitution says there shall be no establishment. Religion and the state are separated out. Not that, nor one-sided control, as as in France, for instance, where the French state assumes the authority to be able to control and limit um, religion in public life. Of, and I say France, but of course, lots, lots of other countries, in fact, quite a lot of countries in the world uh, do that. Turkey is another example, especially at the moment. Iran, Saudi Arabia. I mean, there are so many examples where the state has this one-sided control but that's not what I mean by moderate secularism. So moderate secularism is where neither religious authority or political authority are able to control each other. The second point is that religion is a public good and not just a private good. Everyone will recognize that religion can be a private good, though some people think it's you know, a delusion and it's bad for individuals. But most people think, well, you know, in times of bereavement and so on, they can see the point why someone may turn to religion. But that's not what moderate secularism is saying. It's saying it can be a public good independently of the private good. And when I say a public good, I don't mean like it's always a public good. I mean it can be a public good. So good and bad are obviously correlative terms. Anything that can be good can also be bad. 
So religion can also be a public bad, and I'll come to that later. The third point is that the church, or you know, whatever we call the organizer of this public good, it belongs to the people and the country, not just to its individual members. A very good contrast is, for instance, um, the Church of England and a church, say, in the United States. The, a church in the United States, if you wanted to, say, get married and you went to a church in the United States and you say, well, can I get married in your church? They'll say, well, I don't recognize you. Are you a member of the congregation? But they don't say that in England. They say, oh, yes, okay, let me get my diary. Because the church is supposed to belong to the people. You don't have to be a member. You're taken to be a member just by being present. Two other things quickly to say about moderate secularism then is that um, it is legitimate for the state, and this is obviously a very big point, it is legitimate for the state to be involved in bringing out the public good element of organized religion. And you see in brackets I put here, not just protecting the public good from the dangers that organized religion can pose, which of course is a, is a responsibility of government, you know, if religion is seen to be doing some harm, like say, you know, we've obviously got a, long, a lot of experience from Northern Ireland or currently with terrorist networks and so on. But I'm making the positive point that it's the duty or can be the duty of the government to also promote the public good as well as to limit the possible social harm. And the last point is quite important, that everything that I've been talking about, that I've been calling moderate secularism, is done within liberal democratic uh, constitutionalism. And you might say, well, yeah, so what about Muslims in Europe? So my argument, I believe I've got one minute left, my, my argument is that a good way of understanding the kind of citizenship that is the best kind of citizenship for ethnic and religious minorities in Europe, including Muslims, is where these two concepts come together, multiculturalism and moderate secularism. So where we, as it were, multiculturalize, or if you like, pluralize, what I've described here very, very quickly as moderate secularism. So this isn't just about toleration, because of course multiculturalism goes well beyond toleration. Multiculturalism is the acceptance and the inclusion, the positive acceptance of identities, not about tolerating something that we don't really approve of. And it goes well beyond the recognition of religious freedom or individual rights or rights of conscience. It's about the public accommodation and the state provision of whether it is uh, particular services or exemptions, uh, for instance, redesigning the uniforms of police officers, so people who have a religious need to wear a turban or a hijab can still be police officers and can still have a uniform uh, within the police force and so on. One could give a lot more examples, but I see the chair looking at me very anxiously, so I, I will stop there and look forward to the discussion. Thank you. Thank you, Professor uh, Let me introduce Professor Nilifer Gulli, 
she's a professor of sociology at the Haute, uh, the Ecole des Hautes Études en Sciences Sociales in Paris. She works on Islamic visibility, secularism, and intercultural controversies in European public spheres. Her sociological approach aims to open up a new reading of modernity from a non-Western perspective and a broader critique of Eurocentrism in the definitions of secular modernity. Her books have been published in many languages. Her upcoming book is The Daily Lives of Muslims, Islam and the Public Confrontation in Contemporary Europe. So this is it. It's uh, coming this year, in 2017. And uh, uh, she directed the Euro Public Islam Research Project on Islam's visibility and the transformations of Europe public sphere, the European public sphere between 2008 and 2013, her current new program of research concerns migrant protest movements and democracy in global spheres. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you very much. Uh, I do uh, agree with Tariq Modud when he says the issue is today uh, the recognition of Muslims as citizens, but I would, then I don't agree maybe in everything so that we make the debate more lively uh, because I mean I like his tone of mod moderate his own tone as a very a moderate approach to these issues maybe mine will be much more on the controversies conflicts things that failed so my first at the end we will discuss but my first difference and question also to him is when we really make a close analysis of what is going on today in Europe in relation to Islam is multiculturalism is the announcement of the end of multiculturalism everywhere. So it doesn't provide any longer the frame which helps us to think about religious, ethnic, or Muslim difference in Europe. So this is my first um, uh, remark. I say this because it's not only about a question of the hermeneutic kind of problem, that is, it might always help us to understand the issue, but politically speaking, the announcement of the end of multiculturalism, not only in Great Britain, Netherlands, but in almost all European countries, I would say has a very important consequence for the liberal movement, the liberal left, the liberal West doesn't know, I would say, didn't deal, didn't know how to tackle with the issue of Islam in public life. This is my uh, point when we look at the last 30 years. So one is the announcement of uh, the end of multiculturalism and the second one, it is very much related with all the critique of cultural relativism now, which meant, which went hand in hand with a very affirmative uh, attitude on secularism, not moderate secularism, but secularism which became a question of identity in many places not only in France, but also in other uh, countries of Europe. So I would say if we start from the context, uh, and which will also lead us to the uh, questions that uh, Tariq Ramadan was addressing, that is the way we frame the question of Islam today is related with radicalization, security issues, uh, refugee crisis, and norm conflict, these three things. Uh, I said it maybe quickly, I repeat the norm conflict because it's exactly what is at issue, what is at stake is Muslims becoming 
more visible in the public life, has been debated in many European countries for the last 30 years. And what happened? I mean, how we advanced, how we evolved in these debates, in the direction that uh, Tariq Madud said as a secular, moderate secularism and multiculturalism, or we are drifting away from all possibilities of framing the question of Islam in Europe. So this is how I would maybe put the uh, debate that we can discuss, that we can have the discussion with him. So uh, I think we first issue is Islam in Europe. Already the title is very large, but it is also very telling. That is, we are in a post-migratory phase. That's, we all agree, post-migratory in the sense that Muslims are becoming part of European societies. There is a process of integration, and that would mean, so the issues related with citizenship are becoming more and more important. So not as only migrants, and maybe not only as minority rights, but how to become a full, fully recognized citizen in Europe. So this hyphenated identities, both Muslim and French, and British and Muslim, I think this is what is becoming very difficult to, uh, to relate the both sides of the coin. And secondly, the question we ask with European Islam, not Islam on, on, only in Europe, but European Islam also we can ask in that way, either we think of European Islam as imposed or tried to be shaped from top to bottom, that is how governments, uh, governmentality tries to shape the good, secular, Muslim citizens, that is in conformity with European values, that is how we can really shape a good Muslim in European countries. This is one way of understanding. And the second one is how Islam is also entering into the social fabric of the European countries in everyday life. And that's what I'm looking at. And in that respect, do we think of Islam only as a religion? As, or as religion and culture. That is a kind of reference, a religious reference, which transforms also the cultural fabric of the societies in which Muslims live. I think why there is so much anxiety in relation to Islamic presence in public life is related with the second hypothesis. That is, Muslims are not only asking for recognition of their rights, of their religious rights, but they are transforming the very social and cultural fabric in which they are living. Now I come to the more, therefore, concrete things. What we speak about, when we speak about Islamic visibility in public life, what we understand, this is exactly so. We have to make a differentiation between Muslim migrants already in the process of integration and those who are only refugee crisis or radicalization. So this is the first thing I would like to really um, make a difference. It's not moderate Islam, but it is those who want to be part of the public life, part of the cité, that is, who, who has the desire to live in the ordinary, in the ordinary life. That means uh, living their religion in everyday life, having halal food, uh, uh, their uh, practices, religious practices, burying their close people in the cemeteries of these countries, and also holding to sacred values. So when we look at the controversies since the end of the 1980s, we have a cluster of issues that both Islamic issue and Muslims to the public life, the controversies. And this was independent of 
different European countries, that is, the exceptionalism of France or Britain didn't matter. There's a kind of circulation of controversies from one place to another, from one city to another, including countries who are not members of the European Union, such as the referendum for the uh, uh, Minare referendum in Switzerland. Uh, so that m also was very important. When we take the cluster of controversies, we see the issue of veiling and uh, praying and mosque constructions, halal alimentation and living, because halal is not only about alimentation and ritual slaughtering, but also a kind of lifestyle. And fourth, holding to sacred values, that is the uh, depiction, the visual depictions of uh, Islam, which also created a lot of uh, uh, controversy. So when we take these four controversies, four clusters of controversies, there has been other controversies in different places. But the four controversies, clusters of controversies, we observe in many countries. And they are all related with religion, the way Muslims interpret their religion. This is not only about media controversy. This is also about the way Muslims brought their religious piety very personal and embodied into the public life. Now, this is something that we have to open up, the notion of religion. Religion, as Tar uh, Tariq said, it's not only, it's a question of um, from you are born into it, and then you can affirm or not affirm, as you put it rightly. But there is also the fact that it is something very embodied. That is, we think of religion as only faith and abstract. But especially Islamic religion is very embodied. That means incarnated in bodily practices. It is not only an issue of abstract faith. So praying, having dietary practices, even the grammar of uh, social relations between different uh, sexes, men and women, how you occupy the space. There's a whole choreography of social life and which is very much determined by this way that Muslims bring their piety into the public sphere. So first, when we speak about these controversies, we have to be aware of this religion, the way it is brought in the European countries, in the public sphere, in a very embodied way. When I say embodied, this was a very difficult to understand in relation to the veiling issue. And because people thought that women were covering themselves because it was told them by the uh, entourage, by the people around them uh, with authority, that is gender authority, by male people, their husbands, or Islamic people. Even I, I think they have asked you, Tariq, once to ask to the girls to take it off, as if there was some kind of authority in Islam who would, <laughs> who would decide, uh, who would help to decide, or it is something very personal. So there is a very personal, intimate relation with religion that we see. Personal in the sense that it is really related with your own body and you, it is, I often heard it that you cannot take it as if it is your skin. Uh, so, so this relationship to intimate and also very embodied aspect of religion I think is very important. When we speak about public visibility, it is not like civil societal association 
associations. It's about persons in public life. It is individuals in public life, not only through uh, associations. So this visibility of Islam, why it created so much anxiety, social panic, I think that started the norm conflict that I'm speaking about. Norm conflict started because it is, first of all, as I said, the kind of religion which is not the, the, the majority country is not familiar with. But secondly, there is a space issue. That is, Muslims within the industrial segments, working places, periphery of the cities, working class, headscarf women, didn't become visible, didn't become an issue of controversy. It became a controversy when we saw the girls in the public schools, when we discussed mosques, not praying rooms, mosques with visible architectural forms in, at the center of the cities. We started discussing halal when it started to be closer to bio markets. So when Muslims are coming closer to the societies, that shows that there is a process of integration, that it creates anxiety. So we are always telling the story of Islam as a fail, failure of integration. But what we have seen, all these controversies are related with the process of integration of Muslims in the sense that they are coming more to the center. Because the headscarf of the schoolgirl is visible, but not the, the headscarf of the working class. This is a well-known example, but it is very telling. So there is a class issue, but also a space issue. When you speak about visibility, therefore, there's an interaction with the other. There's an intercultural interaction. And sometimes it is important. Sometimes it is uh, multicultural, as uh, Tariq would like to have it. And sometimes it fails. When we look to the, I go quickly during the discussion, we will uh, go in details if you wish, for each controversy. When we see there is a kind of history narrative of these controversies, I would say almost everywhere we have seen how the norm conflict became important and not multiculturalism in the sense that secular values, gender equality, freedom of expression, and all these are uh, considered as uh, values of uh, secular values. So it should be imposed on the Muslims. So I don't think we had a learning process. I must, I must say that I'm rather frustrated because the, since I have been writing on all these issues the last 20 years, I have the impression that we're going almost to the point of departure. We do not learn from each other and go towards multiculturalism in one minute. So what we can do in, this, in relation to this, I would say Muslims should and are, be, should be more and more active citizens, in a way. Active citizenship is also like more performative in the public life, not always asking for recognition of their difference or multicultural tolerism, which doesn't exist, but more active citizenship on the issues that are also a concern not only for Muslims but for non-Muslims. One example to go quick, they have uh, done the human chain around the synagogue in Oslo after the terrorist attacks. That meant kind of co-citizenship. That is active, performative citizenship. That's what I'm saying. Also, not in my name, which is very 
controversial, but I found it also very important as active, performative citizenship. Secondly, I have three things. Secondly, it is the power of interpretation. I would say Muslims are always in this situation of as a receptacle of how they are depicted in the media. That's what I have seen in my research. They see themselves <laughs> through the lenses of media. Or public life means we have to get freed from the media because almost public life is reduced to media politics. So the way they should get liberated from media coverage is very important and they use their power of interpretation. Thirdly, I keep it for the debate. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much, uh, both of you, for first sticking to the time. Before giving the, the floor to the audience for questions, we'll try to have it as interactive as possible. I have one question to each of you. The first one is about this notion of moderate secularism. I remember once an Iranian ayatollah said, we are promoting Islamic democracy. Fukuyama responded to him, I'm sorry, it's democracy or, or not democracy. There is, you cannot qualify democracy, it's, it's democracy or not. My question is, can we qualify moderate or, or not moderate? What is a moderate? What, how, because if you say this, for example, because you are coming from two different environments. In France, you speak about moderate uh, secularism. In fact, you want to destroy it from within. So I want to, can we qualify? <laughs> And the second is about you. When you are saying, when it comes to Islam and Muslims, and especially with Muslims, the way they are considering religion is a bit different because it's more physical, it's more visible by definition. So some would say, because of this, exactly because of this, it means that uh, Islam and the secular environment are not going to go together. Because of this, this specificity of Islam, which is make it, making it socially visible and it cannot respect the, the secular system. So this is one question for each of you, and then we open. Okay, so I've coined a term. I've, as it were, created a conceptualization. But, but it's not like, oh, I just sat down one day and thought, mm, what should secularism look like? Oh, I know, here's a checklist. This would be nice. <laughs> I'm trying to conceptualize, or if you like, a, a little bit like a, a Weberian ideal type of a world that we live in, of a society that we live in. And the societies um, that I'm particularly concerned include this one and other European societies, in particular Northwestern Europe, excluding France. And that is, of course, where the, the majority of post-immigration Muslim community settlements are. So I'm actually trying to conceptually characterize the kind of secularism that I think exists in Northwestern Europe. Now you could say, well, these countries are not secular. I've heard people say, well, Britain, of course, is not a secular country because you have you know, an established church. The monarch is the supreme governor of the Church of England, and so on. Well, of course, if you say that, then you really are being a kind of either a pedant or a kind of fundamentalist because that's not really looking at Britain in the round. Anyone who did any kind of political or sociological analysis of Britain 
looked at our you know, political structures, looked at where power lies, looked at the norms that govern our, our politics and our political culture, would see that, of course, we are a very secular country. But the question is, what kind of secularism is the secularism that is, uh, I'm describing here? Because other countries have their own secularism. So by moderate secularism, I don't mean, oh, let's take secularism and how can we moderate it? And I came to this way of thinking as a way of responding to those people who said things like, well, the problem with Muslims, the problem with Islam, and why you guys can't fit into countries like ours is because we are secular countries, and secular means that religion is a private matter. I said, well, okay, well, that's not our country, is it? Because we have public institutions. We have, uh, you know, the Church of England that I was just referring to. We have publicly funded, out of taxpayer money, uh, religion in schools or religious schools. I think there are, what, 28 countries in the European Union, while we're still in it, 21 of them, 21 of them spend taxpayer money in funding religious education in schools or schools run by religious organizations, including, of course, France. So this is the normal secular. And someone who thinks secularism is something else is either misleading themselves or is misleading us. So I'm saying I'm just talking about Britain as a... <coughs> as the kind of secularism it is, and to give it a label, I'm calling it moderate secularism because I see that other countries have what I call a different secularism. But I'm not trying to moderate secularism. I'm just trying to offer a faithful description to the secular political reality that we're part of. Okay, thank you so much. Okay, sorry, I don't like the moderate uh, secularism term. That's the French uh, answer. <laughs> no, it's not the French answer. It is in relation to Muslim answer, that is moderate Muslims. <laughs> it is Ramadan answer, maybe. Because, I mean, moderate supposes that there is aggressive secularism, yes, much more radical and so on. But I think the, the issue is inclusive secularism or exclusionary secularism. It is... I would have uh, put it in terms of can can secularism be a shared value? That maybe that is the the way it should be. Whereas today secularism became an identity, as I'm saying, not only in France but also in Great Britain, everywhere, because it is not only about religious religion as a private matter, but it is also about sexual norms. We are debating sexual norms, and we are thinking we are coining secularism as the prerequisite of sexual norms, that is, sexual minorities and gender equality. That's why people would say to Muslims, you cannot be in our society because you are not respecting these norms. It's not because your religion is not uh, private enough. So I think we should be uh, more clear about it. And secondly, secularism is, in the, first, the state power equal distance in relation to different religions and also to non-religious. It is a kind of guarantee for religious freedom as well as for those who are not believers. That's, I think, the role of the state. But the second one is the organization of social life. And here becomes, it becomes more difficult. In the organization of social life, as you were saying, 
we start eating fish without knowing exactly why. We know that Sundays is the holiday without knowing why. That is Christian background of secular organization of everyday life disappeared. I mean, uh, became invisible, not disappeared. We're not aware of it, but we know that all secularism is related with a particular religion. That is when you, the fish example, uh, and uh, because you gave it. Uh, so it is, there is always a hidden aspect of religion within the secular organization of uh, social life. Coming to your question, because of this visibility that you would say Islam and secularism cannot go together, as you say, this is the idea that people should be neutral. Because people say secularism provides neutrality in the public space so that I can be part of the public sphere. Okay? I can come uh, to the public sphere with m- different beliefs. I think public sphere is very important for democracies, for multiculturalism, for plurality, because it is the only place where we can really confront uh, differences and get familiarized with each other's differences. So the issue, when we say, because Islam is in the public space, in an embodied form, we cannot have secularism, this is a perversion of the secular idea because they want people, persons, to be neutral, not the state in relation to the the social life. Okay, thank you.